0: mm oh. sea, chanting bird and flowing fountains, call us to rejoice in Thee. Thou art giving and forgiving, ever-blessing, ever-blessed, while spring joy of living motion join the mighty chorus which the morning stars began Joyful music leads us on. to the Lord, our God and King, his love endures forever, for he is good, he is above all things, his love endures forever, sing praise, sing praise. With a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, his love endures love endures forever, sing praise, sing praise, sing praise, sing the rising to the setting sun, his love endures forever, by the okay. grace of God we will carry on, his love endures forever, sing praise, sing praise, sing praise, sing, praise, sing faithful. Forever God is strong. Forever God is with us. Forever. Forever God is faithful. Forever God is strong. His love endures forever. His love endures forever. His love endures forever. Forever. His love endures forever. His love endures forever. His love endures forever. love endures forever, forever. Forever God is faithful, forever God is strong, forever God is with us, forever. Forever God is faithful, forever God is strong.
1: Says this a couple of verses after that, many.
0: the Lord on high, God of oneness beyond our galaxy, you are holy, holy, the universe declares your majesty, you are holy, holy. for you are lord of heaven and earth hallelujah to the lord Lord, reveal your heart to me. You are holy, holy, the universe declares your majesty, for you are holy, holy, holy. Lord. is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. Let's sing that one more time. My hope is built Then Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. Oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, fought to stand before the throne, Christ alone.
1: Christ Alone, Cornerstone. Uh, Before, as many of you know, before full-time pastoral ministry, I was in the automotive parts industry. Uh, I've I've always been a car guy, though. Even when I was in my teens, I was always a car guy. So finding a job in that field was perfect for me. I've, I've had, and I've had quite a number of cars over the years. My very first car was a British sports car. It was a 1957 Triumph TR3. Isn't that pretty? It's way prettier than the one I had. The one I had was pretty ugly when it started. And I, we, we, I worked on it. I, I did some body work. I painted it. Um, I put about a, thousand, a couple thousand dollars into it. I bought it for 285 bucks. I, I spent about $2,000 fixing it and I traded it in for two hundred and sixty-five bucks. <laughs> yeah. well, it was a learning experience. Um, I've actually, I've owned nine cars and one motorcycle in, in, in my life. Two of the cars were brand new. The first was a 1972 Toyota Corolla sedan, that little guy up there in the black and white picture, and uh, my current one, my master 6. I still get really excited when I smell that new car smell. I don't know what it is they do, maybe it's just all the plastic that's gassing, it's probably bad for me, but I love sitting in a new car Go, oh yeah, wonderful stuff, yeah. Well, shortly after I got this one, this Mazda 6, I'm driving along and I was making a lane change, and suddenly the car starts beeping like mad, like beep, 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 like this. And, and, and what I didn't remember until that very moment was that it has something a feature called blind spot monitoring? Basically, if you try to turn into a lane and there's a car there that you can't see because you can't see it in your mirrors, the car warns you not to do that. This car's smarter than me sometimes. Anyway, um, so that car actually I had broke. Oh, yeah, and I'd broken the cardinal rule, which when you're making a lane change, you're always supposed to do the shoulder check. You know, but. You know, that wasn't the first, and it won't be the last time that my car has probably prevented me from having an accident. So, thanks, safety features. Pretty really happy about that. Blind spots. We all have them. And it isn't just about when we're driving. Um, yeah, sometimes it's just a matter of our perspective. From where we are, we just, we just simply don't see something. I was turning onto a street in, uh, in Coquitlam and I looked one direction, I looked the, looked the other one, I looked back this direction and I started to turn right and there was a lady with a stroller just about by my front bumper. <sighs> Thank you, Lord. So yeah, sometimes you just don't see those things. But sometimes we aren't, just simply aren't even aware that we have blind spots in our lives. And, and that can have disastrous consequences. I, I really, really, really wish I had a built-in spiritual blind spot monitor. That would be so good. Um, if I don't see those blind spots, see what's in those blind spots, I, I might think that I'm on track to do what God wants. And I might think that I've got it figured out but God might have a much larger and probably a much better plan for me than I don't see. The Bible has a lot of stories like that of, of people of God that, that are, uh, of God trying to get his people to think bigger, think the bigger picture. Peter, oh, bless Peter, I've, I've, I love Peter's story. He thought he was living the dream because he was taking the gospel in the early days of of, of the church, he was taking the gospel to his own people, Israel. But God's bigger picture was to have a church that included all people. All people. God wants a church where all people can worship together with joy, regardless of age, race, social standing, appearance, Wait. <laughs> all things humans use to include or exclude each other. Peter had a huge blind spot. God doesn't want that. God wants a church where, in, in, in the words of Paul in Galatians 3, a church where there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for we are all one. One, in Christ Jesus, unity. God's faith family is inclusive. It has to be inclusive. God doesn't want racial distinctions or distinctions based on social standing or gender. He told Abraham that all people would be blessed through Abraham through his seed. And, he, and we know that that happened because we have been blessed because Jesus is descended from Abraham. Yeah. But the early church didn't get it right at first. They, they let their cultural prejudices limit the membership in Christ's family to a select group of people. In particular, they were, re, they were bigoted toward the non-Jewish nations, the Gentiles. Prejudice is a special kind of ugly. Someone once told me, um, they said, "Beauty beauty is only skin deep. You've heard that, right? Beauty is only skin deep, but ugly goes clean down to the bone. There's a lot of truth in that. Acts chapter 10 is the story of this turning point in the church, and it transformed the church and the gospel message. By then, by the time Acts 10 was was, uh, being lived, the the gospel had spread all through Jerusalem and all around Judea, primarily to Jewish people, and also among what they called proselytes, people that were not Jewish, but who embraced Judaism and and would worship with them and, and study and learn the Jewish scriptures. Today, is the story of a a sea change in that attitude. Because God himself is going to introduce the Gentiles into the church and show his approval of them. So through Paul, though Paul is known as the apostle to the Gentiles, it actually was Peter who opened the door in obedience to God. So it's in Acts chapter 10, and we're going to read that today, and we're going to do it in a few sections so that we don't uh, get overwhelmed by it. Sounds like somebody's uh, putting some boards together outside, doesn't it? Hearing some hammering. (laughs) Okay, Acts chapter 10, uh, beginning right at verse 1. And this is the setup for the story here. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing, He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day, at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius, Cornelius stared at him in fear. (laughs) You think? (laughs) What is it, Lord? he said. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering to the Lord, to God. Now, send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, different Simon, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa." So here's Cornelius. The guy, is, he's a centurion. That's a non-commissioned officer in the Roman army. But he's a, 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 a soldier who had worked his way up through the ranks, and now he, he, he was part of what's called the Italian cohort. Uh, just a trivia here, a cohort was one-tenth of a legion. It was about 300, 600 men that he commanded. That's that's a fair number of men. A centurion was literally meant to be a commander of 100 men. So he would have had 100 men under his his, uh, supervision and control. That centurion, that's the same root word that we got sent for a penny. Um, Yeah, it means 100. It says he was a Gentile described him as a God-fearer. In other words, he wasn't a convert to Judaism at this point, but he was someone who believed in, in, the, in the, the simple monotheism of Judaism, that there was one God, and he was following the Jewish worship, and he was also living out the ethical and the moral standard of the Jewish people. says he was charitable, and he prayed to the God of Israel. Well, you can assume from this, actually, that he wasn't getting much uh, out of his own pagan religion, the religion of his own culture. And, uh, and he was open. He was open to hearing about this Jewish God who said he was the only God. So in the middle of the afternoon, in broad daylight, Cornelius has a vision. Ah, oh, Man. He looks at this in fear, what is it, Lord, even though he may not have known exactly who he was addressing. And he gets this instruction, go to, send some men, go to Joppa, bring back this guy named Peter, because I want you to listen to what he has to say. Hmm. So, over in Joppa, meanwhile, Peter is going up to his roof. Uh, the roof of the top of Simon the Tanner's house to pray. Uh, Let's carry on at verse 9 here. About noon the following day, as those men were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up onto the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time Do not call anything impure. That God has made clean. And this happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. And while Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, The Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. (laughs) I lost my spot. Three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, we've come from Cornelius the centurion, he is a righteous and God-fearing man who's respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into his house, into the house to be his guests. <sighs> Sorry, this picture is a little bit grainy. Uh, I couldn't find any other pictures. This is a typical dwelling in the first century in Israel. The rooftops were flat. It would have been covered with some kind of sod and grass, probably. Uh, So there was a nice space. Rooftop patios. Don't we like rooftop patios in restaurants? Yes. But noon wasn't actually, it wasn't a required prayer time in in Judaism. But it was common for Jewish people who were really devoted to pray around noon. And it'd be cooler up on the roof than it would be inside, especially if there was a sea breeze coming up, because Joppa is actually a seaport. Now, they sometimes would put up an awning for for shade, too. So while he's praying, he's getting hungry, maybe a little drowsy, as we can sometimes in prayer, it can happen. Peter fell into a trance. The word they actually use here, the word that Luke uses as he wrote it, is the word extasis which is the word from which we get ecstasy, or it was an ecstatic vision. It was a, it was a vision from God. And Peter is repelled by it. A sheet is lowered down. He's told, get up, kill, and eat. Now, Peter might not have been the most scrupulous of people, but he did follow the Jewish dietary laws. And he was horrified at the idea of eating something that he had always treated as forbidden. There were some acceptable four-footed animals on this. Yes, there were. If an animal had a cloven hoof, a split hoof, and chewed the cud, it was acceptable. But they were all mixed together with unclean animals, lizards, things like that. And the voice made no distinction. It just said, Peter, kill and eat. Chow down, buddy. And he protests. Yeah, of course. I, I can't do that. Lord, I can't, I can't do that. I've, I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. But the response to his protest probably shocked him. Because the voice said, Peter, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. just to be sure he got the message, the vision was repeated twice more. Now, I might miss something the first time. I I might miss it twice. Ask my wife, I can't find it. It's in this cupboard. You said it was in this cupboard. It's not here. I've looked twice. And she walks out and she opens the cupboard door and goes, here you go. see it, I can't see it, it's not here. I can miss things. But three times? Not likely. Not likely he's gonna miss it when it's three times. In, in Mark's Gospel, chapter 7, uh, Jesus was speaking about some of these dietary laws. He actually, uh, he said that they don't apply to Christians anymore. What he said was, don't you see? talking to his disciples, "'Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach, and then out of the body.'" And then Mark, in a bracket, editorial comment says, "'In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean.'" All foods are clean. That's what not, not what defiles us. That's what not, that's not what, <laughs> what makes us unclean. What makes us unclean is the evils that are in us, in our hearts. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, and those kind of things. That, he says, is what makes you unclean. That's what has to be dealt with. That's what has to be cleaned by God. So Peter had been there when Jesus said that. And so I think it took three times for him to get it. So he's almost like he's saying, so um, Lord, what's what's your point? With all this food? And he's still processing that when the men come down and call out to him. And, And imagine how startled he was when he sensed the Holy Spirit in him say, don't hesitate to go down there, Peter, for I have sent them. Ah. Okay, Lord, you sent men, and I'm to go with them? Well, imagine Peter's shock and surprise, perhaps, when he comes down to find three Gentiles waiting for him. Gentiles. It had to be Gentiles. In Jewish law, forbid accepting or providing hospitality to Gentiles. Never mind eating with them. A a Jewish person couldn't go into a a Gentile's dwelling places or buildings, couldn't even touch their possessions without becoming ceremonially unclean. Doing so would would make them unclean. So, So he gets this message, this sheet, Unclean foods, hmm. unclean people. And I think at that moment he figured it out. God was erasing in Peter what he was carrying on of centuries of racial prejudice. Centuries. He obeyed it. But in his mind, he must have been thinking, is it possible that God wants to make the Gentiles clean too? Yeah. So he obeys what he hears the Spirit saying. He hears the story. And then he invites them into his house. Wow. Then he goes with them. Okay, let's carry on with the story. Last half of verse 23. Read a little bit farther here. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up, said, stand up, he said, I'm only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. Anyone. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Halfway there. Cornelius answered, Three days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour, at three in the afternoon. Suddenly, a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who's called Peter. He's a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. I had an opportunity once with uh, some, some people I was visiting. And, and they knew I was a Christian. This is, yeah, they knew I was a Christian. They knew I was a pastor. We'd, we'd had some brief conversations about faith. But this conversation took place three days after 9-11. I was sitting at the table with them, and we were talking about Faith, and they said, "Well, what was it like for you?" I said, "What do you mean? What was what was what like?" I played dumb. <laughs> they said, "You know, and you you know." I said, "Oh, you mean how I came to faith?" Yeah. I said, "Would would you like really like to know? Would you really like to know?" And they both leaned forward and they said, "Yes." I. I we, we live for those kind of opportunities because God had prepared them to hear. That's where Peter's at with these people. Now, what do you want to say to us? What do you want to say to us? Now he gets it. Now he understands the vision wasn't about food. It was way more important. God had prepared the Gentiles to listen to everything the Lord had commanded him to say. How is a person made clean? How how do we gain a clean heart and a right spirit? Only through Jesus. Only through Jesus. isn't, Isn't this what Jesus said we were to do? What Peter is doing is this not exactly what he told them on the mountaintop in Galilee. Go and make disciples of all nations. And so he was brought to the centurion's house for a reason, to declare the good news of forgiveness through Jesus. Let's finish our reading for today. Verse 34. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize... He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit, just as we have. And so he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days, a few days, yeah. Wow. What Peter gives them is an interesting mix of his own personal instruction from the Lord and the gospel message itself. The the said centurion and his household wouldn't have known all that detail, so he, he felt he needed to fill that in, give them a little more detail. But here's the summary of what he said. This is the gospel message to them. This is what he said, and to us. He said, God does not show favoritism to any nation. And Peter had just had that point driven home to him in a very visceral way. Then he said, God accepts people from every nation who do two things, who fear him, who respect and honor him, and who do what is right. And then he says, this is the same message God sent to the people of Israel. This is the good news of peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. And then then he gives them a little bit about his memories of the earliest spread of the gospel and how it spread, and how John the Baptist in the beginning had had, uh, called people to repent from their sin and prepare the way for the Lord. And then and he baptized them, and it was a baptism of repentance, of, a, of expressing their desire to turn from those things. He was preparing them. And then he says, he told them about how God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and power. It has baptism with John. And Peter and, and the other apostles had been eyewitnesses to everything. They'd seen it all. They'd seen the signs, they'd seen the wonders, they'd seen miracles. They'd seen all these things that Jesus did. But then he tells them what the rulers did to Jesus. They crucified him. Hung him on a tree. But what God did for Jesus raised him from the dead. Caused him to be seen by the witnesses that God had already chosen, Peter among them. And then he commanded them to preach and give this message to everybody. But also in there is the reminder that God is... Jesus was the one God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. There will be a judgment. To be declared in the right with God is only possible by having Jesus as your Savior and Lord. He is the one that we are going to answer to when our lives are over. He is the one to whom we will also have to give an account. But the, the kernel, the, 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 the core of the message here, the core of the good news is this, everyone who believes in Jesus receives forgiveness of sins in his name, who believes that he is who he said he was and that what he did was a sacrifice in our place to atone for or reconcile the sin that we had committed. And I love it because it says he doesn't even get you know, like he doesn't even get to, to the last few words of the sermon. He's not even finished yet. And the Holy Spirit just falls on everybody, all heaven breaks loose. They speak in ecstatic utterances, in tongues, and they praise God. And those are indicators that they have not just believed, but they've also been reborn. Some commentators actually call this the the Gentile Pentecost, because the Holy Spirit uh, came on the earliest Christians, or the the, the earliest followers, Pentecost Sunday, or what we call Pentecost Sunday, Pentecost, 50 days after Jesus' resurrection. But they call it the Gentile Pentecost because when they heard the good news of forgiveness, the Holy Spirit came on them the same way he came on the Jewish people on the day of Pentecost. Which also kind of blows away everybody that's along with Peter on the journey. He didn't come on his own. He came with some people as well that, the same sign. They had the same sign. and So he says, Peter states the obvious. <laughs> How can we prevent them from, doing, from being baptized? It's pretty obvious. They know the Lord. That's a before and after story, because before this, Peter had a huge blind spot. He thought that the gospel was only for Jewish people and for converts to Judaism. His bias kept him in the dark until God figuratively opened his eyes to the truth. I read about a a church, a pastor, a large Chicago church actually. Um, This pastor was was coming up to an anniversary celebration of his church. The church had been around for quite a few years, kind of like Abbotsford Baptist. And, um, but he was looking into their church history and one of the things that had puzzled him was he was wondering the church had started in the center part of the city and had moved to the north edge of the city, right out into the boonies. And he wondered why they had moved from a central location to one that was so far removed. And he's digging through the archives and he found a brochure that had been printed for the 60th anniversary of the church. Not so long it had been around, and this was maybe 20 years after that, that he was looking. The brochure gave him the the reason. It's not pretty. It said this, As the people of Southern Europe and the colored races invaded, notice the inflammatory verb, invaded the Old North Side of Chicago, The Scandinavian people sought more desirable residential districts. Ew! I even wonder whether I should even read it. It's it's just... They justified the move by saying that, well, since many of our own families have moved to that part of town, the church should move there to minister to the needs of our own constituency. the shameful truth of it was that people who were not like them moved in, so they moved out. Interesting, the pastor who was writing this was Italian. He was one of the southern Europeans they were writing about in that brochure. They were blind to their bias. Or, or worse than that, they spun their decision to put it in a positive light. Does the way they felt square with what the Holy Spirit told Peter? Absolutely not. Cultural biases like this hinder the spread of the gospel. Because cultural bias, at its root, is sin. It is devaluing something or someone that God has accepted, or will accept. And with people, it's denying and devaluing someone who was created in God's image. It's a special kind of ugly, and we need to call it what it is. It's sin. And it's a special kind of ugly because it isn't always visible, but it goes really deep. And it can be carried into a church, and it has no place in this church, no place in the church of Jesus. (sighs) Why? Because God values all people. We are created in His image. Even though the image can be deeply marred from sin, we are still created in His image. Well, how do we get rid of the blind spot? Can we correct it? <laughs> well, you know, God is always at work in us, trying to make us more like him. And our biases, though, and our prejudices can be barriers to the gospel, doing what God wants us to do, of spreading the gospel. They have to go. We need heart change. And that only comes as God transforms us. It takes a work of God to break down walls of prejudice. Peter would never have gone with those men sent by Cornelius before that vision. But God was bringing the rest of the world into the church and so he worked on Peter's heart so he'd go when he was asked. Peter opened that door in obedience to God. Will we... Will we cooperate with God to get rid of anything that hinders his work? If we will, we, we will see even greater things than this. Acts chapter 1. Not going there right now. But Acts chapter 1. Uh, God made it clear that our commission as Jesus' followers is to take the gospel. He said, and he told them, them, them he said, go first to Jerusalem. That's our immediate family and friends. Then to Judea, our neighborhood, our cities. Then Samaria, which could be geographical, but basically it means people not like us. And ultimately, even to the ends of the earth. The early church wanted to stay in Jerusalem. It was comfortable. It was what they knew. It was who they knew people like themselves. God didn't want that. So, guess what happened? Persecution broke out against the church. And out of their persecution, the church fled. And when they fled, they took the gospel with them. And the church grew. Going through Samaria. You know, in in the first century, if a Jewish person wanted to get from Jerusalem up to Galilee, they literally went out of their way to avoid going through Samaria. They went around it. If you were looking at a map this way, it'd be around it that way. They 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 avoided the Samaritans at all cost. But Jesus didn't do that. He said, I must go through Samaria. And so he did because he wanted to reach the Samaritans. This special kind of ugly isn't just about race. It's about anything that causes us to separate people into us and them. Is there a group of people you shut out of your life that I shut out of my life? It might, it might be a visible people group but it also might be people with a different understanding of sexual orientation, or people from a different socio-economic stratum. We can be biased against rich people resenting what they've got, or poor people. Do we walk around them on the street? Because keeping distance does not erase those differences. It amplifies them. It reinforces them. makes it easier to label people. And once you've labeled people, they'll become less like persons and humans to you, and easier to ignore or hassle. I guess the, 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 the big question here is what is the scope of God's grace who does it include who do we unconsciously perhaps exclude by not even bothering to tell them we're called to the same mission that Peter was called to Jesus, in the earliest days of his ministry, when Peter got the call from him, Jesus walked along the shore. He saw these guys mending and drying their nets, and he told them, fishermen, he said, Come, follow me, and I'll send you out to fish for people. It's Mark one seventeen. So the question is, who are the Gentiles in Abbotsford? In our neighborhood? in our workplaces. Acts is the story of how the early church put God's plan to work, to reach all people all over the world with the gospel, because there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we can be saved, by which we must be saved. Jesus was known as a friend of sinners. You know how I know that's true? He's my friend. (laughs) He's your friend. That's proof positive. But what about our neighbors and our colleagues? God, God didn't call us to huddle together in an enclave of people who are already like us. Jesus had to teach Peter that the gospel was for everybody. And that's a lesson we have to absorb. The Question is, as we go, as we leave today, and this is just its a rhetorical question, it's when you ask yourself, how does my behavior need to change? How does my attitude need to change? ask god to show you any of your attitudes that are barriers to the spread of the gospel because if you have them they need immediate attention so they had a question the last one is what will we cooperate will we cooperate with god to get rid of anything that hinders his work that's always the question we have to ask So ask God to reveal our barriers, to remove them, and to heal us. In this area in particular, our prayer needs to be something like this. It needs to be, Lord, change me. Make me more like you so that I can love like you. In this matter, I need to have clean hands and a pure heart because I want all people to come to know you. So take away the obstacles, Lord. In Jesus' name. Let's pray. None of us, Lord, wants to think or believe that we have this kind of a blind spot. And I'm so grateful, Lord, that, that we understand that and that we are trusting you to remove those things. Lord, make us see people through your eyes. Lord, show us them and how much you love others, that our heart would break for those who do not know you, that our heart would break for those who can't seem to help themselves because they're caught in a cycle, or they need you, or they've been ignored, they need you. So, Lord, make us your people more and more like you. We pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing one more song and then we'll have some fellowship together.
0: our eyes from evil things, O Lord, we cast down our idols, so give us clean hands and give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to another, give us clean hands and give us pure hearts. generation that seeks, it seeks your face, O oh God of Jacob, and O oh God, let us be a generation that seeks, that seeks your face. bend our knees, O oh, Spirit, come make us humble. We turn our eyes from evil things, O oh, Lord, we cast down our idols, so give us clean hands, and give us pure. Souls to another. Give us clean hands and give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to another. And oh God, let us be a generation that seeks, that seeks Your faith. Seeks your face.
1: people we were before.